Hello, everyone, and welcome to this latest episode of the podcast, episode number 39. My guest this week is Professor William Kenyon. Professor Kenyon serves as head of the Lighting Design Program at Penn State University. He is an active professional designer with over 150 designs for theater, dance, opera, and musicals to his credit. Professor Kenyon has recently designed the lighting for several Penn State locations, including the 2013 recreation of the iconic Nittany Lion Shrine, the art room in Schreier House, and the new theater space incorporated into the Tank 5 water tower adjacent to the Sala building. Professor Kenyon is also the author of the new textbook, Theater and Stage Photography, and offers stage photo workshops around the world. His recent production work includes performances at the Kennedy Center, Lincoln Center, Wolf Trap, and the Qatar International Arts Festival. He is also designed for the Hangar Theater, the Metropolitan Playhouse, Opera Delaware, Ballet Theater of Central Pennsylvania, Nebraska Rep, Russian Ballet Theater of Delaware, Opera Omaha, University of Iowa, and MTI Disney, to name a few. Professor Kenyon has also been involved in Native American theater and dance for over 15 years, serving as resident LD for the American Indian Dance Theater, and was involved in the complete reimagining of Unto These Hills, a massive outdoor spectacle celebrating the history of the Cherokee. Prior to Penn State, Professor Kenyon taught lighting and sound design at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Professor Kenyon received his BFA from the University of Connecticut, having studied with Jim Franklin, and his MFA from Brandeis University, having studied with Bob Moody, Dennis Parici, and Carl Eggsty. Professor Kenyon serves as chair of the History and Heritage Committee with USITT and was recently elected chair of the OISTAT Education Commission. He is a member of USITT, OISTAT, IALD, IESNA, and USAA Local Number 829 in the areas of lighting and sound design. I had the opportunity to meet Professor Kenyon through our mutual interest in technical theater history. He helped introduce me to the George Eisenhower and George Thayer lighting collections currently residing at Penn State. It has also become a, because of him that I have become more active in both USITT and OISTAT respectively in historical and heritage research, education, and publication. He has also been one of the folks who was part of the inspiration for the creation of the Archiving Technical Theater History Facebook group. It was great to finally catch up with him in Berlin, Germany, when we were both attending the stage, set, and scenery event this past June. We caught up about not only historical research, but what it means to save something, and what the future may hold for things going forward in historical research. I hope you enjoy the show as much as I had in talking with, with him this past June. Thanks very much. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm talking to you live from stage, set, and scenery here in Berlin, Germany at the Messe Berlin. And we are tucked away here in a corner. And my guest this time is Mr. William Kenyon, or does he prefer Professor William Kenyon? William's just fine. 
Excellent. Yeah. And uh, William and I know each other from the original Penn State project uh, that was a look into the George Eisenhower collection and the William Thayer collection. Yes. Okay. So um, uh, the reason I'm talking to, to William is because part of the reason that uh, archiving technical theater history came about was because of that initial project. Um, so I'm happy to have you here. Um, and I'd like to kind of learn more about how the, your interest in historical theater research came about and where it is today. So let's start with William Kenyon, where are you today? What do you do? <laughs> Who are you? All the interrogative questions. Sure. Well, I am just finished my 15th year at Penn State as the head of the lighting design program. And I've always been interested in history. Uh, it's certainly something that's critical to understand in all aspects of what we do for des as designers to understand the technology, but also just the history behind it, pretty much everything. Uh, however, being interested in technical theater and the history of lighting specifically sort of fell into my lap when I came to Penn State. I was hired to come in and, and head the BFA program and run the lighting design area. And during the whole process, uh, at one point, somebody said, oh, and by the way, we have this collection of old lights that that will be yours to deal with as well, but don't worry about it. And they pretty much sold me a, a bill of goods, as it were, because uh, in reality, the collection is huge. And ma maintaining it is actually should be a full-time job for somebody. Yeah. The, the, the person who helped actually start the, the, the accumulation of it was Mr. Bill Allison, correct? Correct. Yes, he started it in, uh, in the early 70s, from what we can tell, and uh, started to accumulate a lot of papers and documentation uh, and drawings and equipment. Uh, so we have pretty much all aspects of lighting design history, except for we don't have a lot of light plots and light light plot paperwork. That's the the one area that's that's held in other archives elsewhere. Um, but as far as the install, the creation of equipment, uh, and then the actual equipment itself, that's what we that's what we collect. Uh, so in your in your um, so you're given this this material, as mm -hmm. you say, this bill of goods, <laughs> and uh, what what was your initial kind of was it shock when you opened the door and you went, what the heck is all this? Or was it, because there was a story you told us when we first, that there were some filing cabinets underneath a set of stairs mm -hmm. that people didn't quite know about. And then when you pulled it out or you started to look at it, there was more behind it. What, how did this all, how did this all come about? So there were some filing cabinets in a stairwell uh, that were a couple of stacks of flat files. And we knew that those were mainly drawings from uh, Century and Kliegel. And I heard a story that at some point in the 80s, uh, a lot of that paperwork was donated to the university and a semi-truck pulled up to our loading dock and just unloaded it. And uh, the people at the time just stashed it away wherever they could find a, a hole for it. Uh, I was concerned about the, the state of this set of drawings because it was in a stairwell that was close to an exterior door, leaves would blow in, sometimes the weather would get in through the door, and I was just concerned that these drawings were going to be uh, ruined. And so I worked with the Special Collections to get some money uh, through a Pennsylvania Historical Preservation Grant to preserve what I thought were 15 drawers worth of drawings. 
and the special collections agreed that they would be able to host 15 drawers with the drawings and we got the money to preserve the drawings and catalog them and hire a conservationist uh, who was a student of mine for a while to vacuum them and catalog them and clean them and everything and as we were getting the flat files out we found many more sets of flat files stuffed in behind the original set. Uh, when I revealed this to the special collections librarian, uh, she stopped taking my calls for a couple of a couple of weeks, and then she was like, "All right, fine, we'll find the home for all of that stuff too." Uh -huh. uh, and then, shortly after that, we discovered that we were paying rental on a set of storage units out by the mall. Uh, this was it happened at a production meeting. We were evaluating the budget for the year, and the production manager said. I have this line item that we've been apparently paying for for several years. Do you know what's in there? And I said, I didn't even know we had a storage unit. And my ME, who was new at the same time I was, neither of us had any idea what was in there. So we went out to the storage unit with a set of bolt cutters and uh, told the people who we were. And they said, oh, yeah, we, we see that you've, that you've been paying on this unit now for 15 years, but nobody's been in it in over a dozen years. Oh, wow. And we thought, uh-oh, <laughs> what are we going to find here? So we cut the bolt off the uh, first door, which actually opened up into two smaller units and cut the locks off of both of those doors and found that one of them was full of equipment and the other was full of hundreds of banker boxes full of folded files, uh, folded paperwork, uh, drawings, and then also dozens more flat files full of original draftings. So it was the rest of the Klegel and Century collection of paperwork. So what we understand we have is the complete set of uh, installation drawings from every venue that Klegel ever installed lighting and equipment into and everything that Century ever did up until the 80s. So, so you have this amazing amount, this kind of barn find of, yeah. <laughs> of, of material that hasn't seen the light of day in, as you said, 15 years. Yeah. Someone hasn't physically mm -hmm. dealt with it. Um, I, I can only imagine, you go, what was, first of all, it's shock. You're like, oh my gosh. And then you go, how do we deal with this? Right. So, you know, so when you, when you, when you go in there and you find this stuff and now you have to go give a report back to the production manager or the mm -hmm. higher ups in the, yeah. in, the, in the school, what is it that you tell them? How do you prepare them for that? Or is there a way to, or you just tell them and you're like. Well, luckily the production manager was with me when we cut the bolts the locks off the doors so he he was <laughs> as shocked as we were okay. uh, we also found uh, as a, a whole bunch of equipment including a um, an old touring piano board that weighed so much that it took 20 people to move it onto the back lift gate of the truck that we have which was a fairly big equipment truck and when we actually lifted it up it caused the whole truck to get a little light on the front tires oh until God. we got it into the truck. So it was uh, definitely a very, very heavy, heavy object. And luckily we had just rented a larger storage space for the theater department and were able to put a lot of that stuff into that storage space to consolidate our holdings. But everybody in the department said, oh, well, this is a great find. This is really cool that we have all this, but there's not, there wasn't really any support for further conservation, uh, the grant that we had gotten for the other papers was run out and we haven't been able to get more grants from that organization. Uh, 
it's just a challenge to find money uh, to, to support this kind of conservation. Uh, luckily, USITT has supported us several times, including the first event and second event that you came for, right. uh, the Stage Lighting Archive Working Group. Uh, Which we love. Yes. Uh, the first time around, as you recall, we spent most of the time just sort of digging in to figure out what the scope of this thing was, which was exceedingly helpful for me because that allowed me to then write grant proposals because now I knew what I had. Uh -huh. uh, the second time around, we were able to focus more on the Eisenhower collection. Uh, and since then, I've had other uh, researchers come back for specific research interests and was able to take a sabbatical with part of the sabbatical devo devoted towards delving more into the Eisenhower side of the collection. I think uh, one of the, that, as, as my opportunity to get to see it with the, the six or seven others, um, I think we were, there was a, the, the, at once that shock of what you were seeing was done, it was, it was hard to focus because we were kept stopping. Right. Because we like, hey, look at this, hey, look at this. And that eventually became kind of a point of frustration in the group. Sure. Because we weren't really accomplishing a goal, it was more of just finding. Right. And, uh, and so that second time around, we had a little bit more framework to deal with. Right. Um, and we also had the opportunity to, to have Bill Allison right. come, and, come and visit, mm -hmm. which was great. Um, I can't remember if we ever asked him this question, but you know, what in the world made him value this in particular? Because, you know, I mean, it's one thing to have, I mean, George Eisenhower, I mean, if, if you've been around design or architecture, you know his two major books, you know that he has had his fingerprints on many things from design and, and engineering and, and things like that. And to be like, okay, it's nice to have one thing or a couple things, but why, I guess I'm kind of curious as to why Penn State in particular was Eisenhower from that area, and he just, or did he, did he and uh, Bill Allison become such good friends and, and colleagues that he felt like that was the person to give that material mm -hmm. to? Actually, it's both of those things. So uh, Eisenhower was a Pennsylvania native, and as you know, went and worked at Yale for many, many years and lived throughout New England. Uh, but when he finally retired and went into a retirement home, he went into a retirement home back in Pennsylvania and lived out the remainder of his, of his years in, uh, outside Philadelphia. Uh, <clears throat> he became good friends with Bill Allison at some point in there, and I'm not exactly clear on how that friendship developed. Uh, but that, that is, I believe, why he chose Allison to be the repository the holder of his legacy of papers. Um, one of the things I, I don't recall that we asked him that question yeah, either. Yeah, I, I don't remember that. But uh, my my impression was that Allison felt like it was critical to start saving this kind of history. That he he recognized that this was going to be important history later on, and was a bit prescient in that idea which is great for us. You know, it's often not the case that people recognize what's going to be historically important later on down the road. There's a certain point where an item is new and then it's used and then it's old and then it's junk 
and then his, then it becomes historically significant. Right. Not everything ends up becoming historically significant, but many things do follow that path. And so when we look at some of the things in our collection, I can definitely recall a time when some of the some of that gear was just considered old junk and who cares about that who wants that and people are throwing stuff away that 10 years 20 years later all of a sudden now and I don't know what it is that makes it magically all of a sudden now it's historical but we hope to capture those those things before they get thrown away well it's interesting you mentioned what makes something historical because within the last two years three years I want to say we've seen um, Altman for example uh, discontinued making the 360Q, mm-hmm. which has been a workhorse of of lighting from everywhere from the schools to universities to you know events centers. Yeah. And now they just announced the the slow passing of the the Par 64, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I can't imagine yeah. a world without a Par cam, right? Or at right. least the version that I understand it to be, right? Yeah. And so to me now all of a sudden they became valuable. I mean they were mm-hmm. valuable before. But now it's like, I really want to hold on to them. Right, right. Um, you know, every time a car, for example, when they stop making the car, the last one off the production line always is a special one that goes into somebody's big collection because it's the last one. Right. Or, um, or you want, or you have, um, you know, there are limited run. Right. You know, they right. only made 50 of these uh, Shelby Cobras from this year with this type of thing. Right. And people get really uh, enticed and, and want to hold on to that stuff. Um, from this collection in particular, what has stood out for you personally? What is something that you were able to kind of say, this heightens my interest in historical, whether it be lighting or engineering? One of the things that really amazes me is when we find something that is, as I say, what was new was old or what, you know, a different way to look at it. We find something that was invented years ago, forgotten about, and then reinvented. Uh, For example, we have a Kliegel fixture that's over 50 years old that has a rotating barrel and shutter assembly. Uh, Very rare. I've heard of, there's only a few of them in the world, Uh, but that predated the Source 4 doing that Mm -hmm. by, by many, many years. And I know Fred Foster has another one in his collection uh, of, of equipment out in, out in, in Wisconsin. Uh, so it was really cool to find that and see that. Like, wow, okay, so why, why did that stop being made? I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a thing we love about the Source 4. You know, it's such a useful aspect of that fixture that, it meant, that made it better than all of the other fixtures that were being made at the time when it came out 20-plus years ago. Um, but now, uh, but now it's, why did Kliegel stop making it? You know, was it not something that people valued at the time or was it too expensive to make at the time? Uh, what, what, uh, what drove that? Uh, we also have this really cool color selector, uh, rig that's for strip lights, but it allows you to dial up the color you want, kind of like a very analog version of the color picker that's found in the EOS and some other consoles. Right. Uh, so I love finding these things that that uh, were invented years ago that are new again to us. And I wonder what other things are in there that we don't, that we haven't found yet. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It's, it's interesting you mentioned Fred Foster because Fred Foster passed a few months ago, I want to say. Um, and it would have been interesting to pick his brain because to figure out what was his inspiration or his company's inspiration. Because, you know, when, when you're in school or, you know, or, or a better example, there's a History Channel or Discovery Channel does how Star Trek changed the world. Right. You know, their communicators became, were the inspiration for cell phones. I know that's kind of a, a weird correlation to make, but there are people who grew up watching those types of TV shows that inspired them to create the next things that we today consider like mm -hmm. absolutely normal. Sure. So I wonder if in his circle or maybe someone, because I, I can't imagine that just coming in a necessarily a moment of inspiration. I mean, that some things do. But to be like, you know, I remember somewhere in a catalog or somewhere I saw this idea. Let's, you know, maybe we can make this, maybe we can make this work. Yeah. That might be uh, a good group of people to hunt down for another podcast. I, I have no doubt. I have <laughs> no doubt. So what, uh, in this process, because you've, you've had this collection now for... 15 years? Mm -hmm. for, for you personally, you have yes. interacted with it for 15 years. Yep. Over that time, what have you um, learned about curation? What have you learned about archiving? And what have you learned about how um, uh, your own sense of value when it comes to um, now, what, what does it mean to save things nowadays? Well, one of the things I've learned is that it's expensive and very time-consuming. Mm -hmm. And it's been a challenge to raise the money and get the time uh, and get people, uh, get people in, and I'm grateful to everybody that's come to campus, yourself and 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 uh, Andrea and Jeff and many of the other people that have have taken the time to to travel and spend a spend a week digging every time. Uh, it's amazing how much we can get done with a with a, a group. Uh, I'm I'm fascinated by it, but it's also difficult to justify spending a lot of time when we're in the heat of production, since our program is very heavily production-based and very busy. So it's a, it's a challenge. I kind of wish that uh, we had a, a, enough funding to create an additional position of, for somebody that could be in charge of this facility, or in charge of this whole collection, right. uh, whether that be me or somebody else that, that, that comes in too. Uh, because it's a, it could be a, a career. This whole this collection is big enough that it could be somebody's career uh, for the rest of their life. Uh, just cataloging everything and then getting it all out there for people to be able to use. One of the things that comes up a lot when I'm asking for money is, well, what use is this? And I tell people all the time, well, we've found a lot of cool things that could be reincorporated into modern equipment, like the the example with the rotating shutter assembly. Who knows what other things are in there or what other interesting uh, takes on lighting equipment might, might be found in this, in this massive group of gear. But there's also a ton of research uh, that can be, learned, uh, can be delved into in terms of architectural history since we have all the correspondence from George Eisenhower throughout his entire business career uh, with all the theaters that he was working uh, for when he was designing new spaces. For example, there's a, a venue in Caracas, Venezuela, that probably has its own file drawer full of correspondence because it's an, it was a project that went on for 20 plus years with tons of, of political upheaval and governmental change and lawsuits and all kinds of crazy stuff. 
So reading that through that history was just an amazing look into the process of how different countries build buildings. Uh, so there's interest for architects, there's interest for people that study business, there's interest for uh, engineering, uh, not just theater. Uh, so it's definitely something that I, I wish we could find more support for. All right, well, we, we have an, uh, an audience. Yes. If, if people um, uh, would like to support or find more information or somehow uh, start to begin learning more about uh, this, this particular archive, um, what's, what's the best way for them to start? Call up Penn State and say, hey, I want to speak to the, the drama department, or is it, or is it a little bit more... Uh, a number of the drawings were cataloged and are on the website, so if you search the special collections uh, for the Allison Lighting Collection, uh, if, you, if you do an online search through the Penn State Library System, you can come up with that, or you can email me and I can put you in, in touch with that. Sure, and we'll, we'll put that in the, in the, the notes okay. for, for, for everyone to, to check out. Um, now, I know that uh, you've become kind of a, a beacon for, for some uh, people when it comes to, hey, we've got all this stuff, we, can we send it to you? And <laughs> I know that, obviously, you don't have unlimited space and unlimited funds and unlimited wherewithal to, to deal with those things. So. Um, for people who uh, have valuable, or what they consider valuable items, and how would you encourage them to, let's say, store it themselves, or how to, how to, how to take care of it? Well, certainly, uh, if somebody has a piece of gear that they're interested in donating, I, what, the, what I tell, tell them to do is take a, a couple of pictures of it and make sure to tell me what any numbers or names, manufacturing inf information that's on the gear, send it to me and then I can see if it's uh, an example that I don't have, in which case I'd be very interested in it, or perhaps one that's in way better condition than one that I have, in which case I'd, I'll replace the one that I have with that one. But if it's something that we already have, we don't have the room to really warehouse multiple copies of things. Uh, so then it's up to the up to that person if they want to keep it for their their own historical interest uh, what I'm hoping to do as I also serve as the chair of USATT's history and heritage committee uh, we're hoping to develop a website shortly that will be uh, amongst other things a go-to source for all sorts of archives around the country so I'm hoping to collect up all the links for all of the different collections be it scenic art props costumes as well as lighting and so we, there are other collections in the country that may be interested in something that we don't have the capacity to handle or something that's just too far away to ship uh, I did have an offer once from Western Canada uh, somebody wanted to ship me a dimmer rack and when we got to talking about the size and weight of it discovered it would take up uh, half of a semi-trailer and weighed over a ton and I uh, regretfully had to turn that down because there's just no way that I could assume that kind of responsibility. Uh, however, I have a gentleman who's going to visit me in two weeks to donate uh, a small light board that's a brand that uh, I don't have a single example of in my collection. So uh, that's easy to, easy to handle. Uh, we're not off the beaten path entirely. If you're traveling through the East Coast, you know, we're not that far away. So 
people have made trips through State College on the way to other places. Um, occasionally I've been able to pick things up while I've been traveling and bring them back with me. Uh, we, we highly encourage calling first. Yes. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't just show up. Yeah. But uh, you mentioned uh, USITT and the Her History and Heritage Commission, which I think is another great way for people to get involved. Maybe they yeah. don't necessarily have uh, materials, or, but they have an interest. Yeah. And that's uh, because now you get to talk to and listen to people who are, have experience or maybe experts in a particular thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important because... It's it's one thing to be able to, to, to go and touch the stuff, but to actually get the the experience of talking to someone, yep. also being uh, uh, getting involved if you have a if you have a local historical society. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think those are those are valuable tools because it gives you a framework, mm -hmm. and someone's already done some of the legwork and can kind of bring you up to speed. Sure. With what's going on? There's a lot of interest nowadays in historical theaters that I don't think existed in the past quite to the same level. So maybe you have two extra fixtures that you don't want anymore, but that theater might love to have them for their lobby display or something along those lines. So, and, and as you say, thank you for, for uh, calling it out, but I'm hoping that we'll be able to build a network over the next few years of like-minded historical uh, resources and like-minded people um, so that maybe if you're far away, East Coast, or I'm sorry, far away on the West Coast or in another country that maybe you can't visit us, but maybe there's other places that you can visit that are closer. That, that's been the, the fascinating thing about the, the Facebook group is just that what started off as like a, a small circle of people has turned into a neat a niche audience mm -hmm. you know oh yeah it's incredible what you've done with this group it's it's bizarre because I, I would never imagine that I'd be having a conversation or someone would be sending me information about hey what is this and things like that one of the things and this is where watching those antique road shows and things because th in a way they're kind of giving you an assistance of how to look for stuff you sure know, look for a maker's mark look for a number as opposed mm -hmm. to just putting up a picture right. because it's it's too hard to to guess from just a solitary picture sure you know the the uh, the story behind it may be great but unless i have something that i can really ground it in reality it's, mm -hmm. it's oh the other thing um uh, is a big challenge is because of safety standards nowadays some things can't be there, there's this whole debate between restoring, modifying, um, you know, keeping as is, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, the asbestos question. The asbestos question. <laughs> yes. Right. Many, many things in our collection were in use regularly until a few years ago that had asbestos cabling on them. And a lot of that stuff was purchased new by the university and was part of my regular inventory when I got to Penn State. And luckily we were able to retire it and replace it. But uh, it's interesting that there was such a, a concern about it, but that it was also in regular usage. Uh, since then, I've been able to get some funding to do some, some asbestos abatement. And then I've been able to take a few of those fixtures that have been abated uh, and rewire them so that we can turn them on again. And so... There are a few fixtures in our collection that do not have period-specific cabling and tails, but the flip side is 
we wanted to be able to turn the fixture back on and that was the way to do it safely. Right. So I I would love it to be able to have everything in the in the in the collection fully functional, but some of the fixtures I have a fantastic file spot that I would love to see turn on again, but I'm afraid that removing all the asbestos that's built into it would destroy it would destroy it and render it inoperable. So we're pretty much leaving it alone for the time being. Uh, but it does make a lot of people at the university a little nervous. Right. I think, I think if, if I'm a big believer of if you have a question about something or whether or not you should do, you know, change it or clean it or something like that, I would say take 30 seconds and, and be like, do I, do I really want to get into a project? Because that's, that's the other thing. Sure. Is people start to, it's like, oh, I can fix my car. I'll, I'll fix the engine. I'll do this. And then they realize that they, they're not as much of a mechanic sure. as, as they think they are. Yeah, you can often do more harm than good right. in trying to just clean it up a little bit. Yeah. And sometimes the patina is more of more historical interest than having the, the fixture completely clean again. Yeah. Now, I do have about 100 Century 1491s, so I am at some point going to take one, sandblast blast it, and chrome it. Because I think that could be a lot. That could be a lot of fun to have, sort of a new-looking version of one of these fixtures. But I have a hundred of them, so it's not like I'm losing anything with that. Right, <laughs> and, and that's what some people need to, to realize is that, you know, if an instrument like the like I said, the Altman 360 goes around for a hundred years, there's hundreds of puns, the hundreds, oh, yeah, thousands yeah. Yeah. of them. Yeah. So it's not as though you have the last one or the right. very first one. Right. Those. I mean, those are somewhere lost in, mm-hmm. in someone else's collection that no one's cared about and, and thrown away. So yeah. it's, it's think of, like I said, the best places I've found to do research for, for some of this stuff is, is things like eBay. Mm-hmm. Because you'll get to see, you know, if you have a, just a description, a sort of a description, you know, that's how you kind of build your vocabulary of figuring out what these things sure. are. The other thing that's interesting with the patina on some things, uh, we found a lot of, of file spots, for example, that have tape and other marks all over them that reveal how the technicians marked the, the spots for certain cues. Maybe uh, that was how they marked where uh, a half-body shot versus a full-body shot was. So that's the other thing that I, I say I hesitate to lose. You know, if you clean a fixture all the way off, all of those marks might be gone, but it's interesting to see that kind of thing. Uh, same goes for dimmers, where people have marked up where the where the levels should be if they have a specific cue that they go to all the time. Or right. you know, There's a lot of really interesting archaeological study that you can do of the, the markings that people have left on things. Right, the imperfections are what make the story. Yeah, yeah, of, absolutely. Of the, you know. um, so, in, in, so as uh, I know you've got uh, other things that you have to kind of run off to and go do, and I know that there's a, a demonstration that I want to see. Um, if, uh, what, what do you see is the, the, the future right now of not only the, the collection, but also the, of where you think the, the heritage and understanding of heritage is, is going, to, going to happen? Well, at the most recent USITT conference, uh, there was a really great discussion after one of the Lighting Commission meetings about, 
looking for new ways to support this collection. And so I hope that uh, there's a lot of great discussion, but I hope some, some concrete action can come out of that uh, so that so that this can become a collection that's accessible to everybody. I recognize that not everybody can travel to where we are, and one of our long-term goals is to get a lot of this collection documented photographically and up on the web, uh, and that way people can see it from around the world and uh, be able to look at it. Uh, and then if that's something that they want to then make a trip to visit more specifically, then we can arrange. Uh, but I'm hoping that we can leverage the use of the web to, to get this collection out since a lot of this stuff is a little too heavy or a little too fragile to ship. Right. So remember, folks, call first, send an email first before just showing up on the doorstep because <laughs> you'll probably not get a good response. Uh, I'll still welcome you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, we, also have to, we also have to give a big thanks again out to Bill Allison for, for being, as you said, prescient. You know, um, without without him, none of this would have been right. really possible. Um, so yeah. it would all just be in a landfill somewhere. Yeah, it would have. Been. So if anyone says, you know, oh, I don't think this is valuable. If it's valuable to you, then maybe you should hold on to it for a while, and, and you know, maybe one day someone will come along and be like, "Do you have this thing?" And you'll be like, "Yes, <laughs> I do. Yes, I do." Well, again, I'm glad uh, we got to be part of this. I, uh, I thank you for your time, and I look forward to more discussion and trips and research and all that kind of good stuff. Absolutely. Thank you, too, for all your support. It's been great having you and, and all the other people that have come to the, uh, to the event so far, and I look forward to more in the future. Excellent. All right. So let's go and go see the rest of the show. All right. Thanks a lot. Yep. Hey everyone, thank you for joining us on this latest episode of the podcast. Remember, this podcast is listener supported, so wherever you get it, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. This podcast can be found on such platforms as iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Stitcher. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, we can be reached at archivett24 at yahoo.com. Again, that's A-R-C-H-I-V-E-T-T-24 at yahoo.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Archiving Technical Theater History. We appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.